HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink, inspiring public curiosity about food. Learn more at mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, we're celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Arroway. And today we're joined in the studio by the author of this book that I'm holding right now, which I will try to pronounce the name <laughs> of correctly. <laughs> it is called Jia, the food of Swatao and Diojiao, diaspora. <laughs> Did I do it? That was a great effort. Um, you were like 90% of the way there. Oh, it's dear. the Dioju diaspora. Dioju. Yeah, it's a super confusing <laughs> word to pronounce because um, the way that you pronounce it in the local language isn't really how it's spelled phonetically. So yeah, it's it's a confusing whole situation. Well, I will pronounce your name then, hopefully right. <laughs> Diana Jang. Yes. Thank you for Hi. joining us. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah, this book is amazing because you are delving into the cuisine of your heritage, um, your dad's side, mm -hmm. and you kind of share the reader along the way. You take them on your discovery process of mm -hmm. this culture and its cuisine every step of the way. Yeah. Um, I It kind of came about because... Um, I, I wasn't sure how to frame this like really expansive story of the diaspora. Mm -hmm. And so um, I opened up the book with this interview format that really does walk the reader through step by step how I got to know about all the different directions that this um, community went in um, all over the world. And that's the Dio... Oh, my God. <laughs> Dioju. Dioju. Um, yeah. It's a city. Uh, Dioju is a city. Um, and Dioju is the name of the city in the local language, um, which is a dialect of Chinese. Um, and in Mandarin, it's actually called Caozhou. Mm -hmm. um, and it's right next to the city where my family is from, which is uh, Swatao in the local language, and then Santo in Mandarin. Mm -hmm. um, and they're only separated by like a 30-minute car drive, so super close. Um, they share the same cuisine, the same culture. Um, but traditionally, uh, 
Diuju or Taozhou was the more important historical city and the homeland for a lot of Southeast Asians, actually. And it was only in recent decades that Santo or Suatao became a much larger city and more populous. Um, and so in China today, it's often referred to by this joint name of Taosan uh, for Taozhou and Santo. Mm-hmm. Um, or in the local language, Dioswa. So as you can see, there are many, many names for this region, which is one of the confusing things about right. the whole culture and cuisine. And the region itself, is a, the, the names are a mashup of the two cities that they are mostly speaking about, but also the area around it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah there's like another city called Jiayang in the region as mm-hmm. well, but for some reason it didn't make it didn't into make the... Didn't make it into the name. Yeah, and then there's like... <laughs> the um, other just small towns in the region that are actually really important for producing like a lot of the ingredients that are used in this cuisine. So we're talking southern China. Yep. Uh, where where exactly? Uh, it's um, technically in Guangdong province, mm-hmm. but right on the border with Fujian. So it's um, right along the coast and Suatao is like on the water and Diuju is further inland and in the hills and mountains. Um, so even within the region, there's some micro-regional variations. Uh-huh. Like the people of Suatao really love seafood. Um, and then in Dioju, seafood isn't used quite as much. Um, mm-hmm. But there are, of course, a lot of commonalities, like lots of lard, uh, oh, <laughs> lots of uh-huh. galangal, and like salted plum. Um, wow. Yeah. Really so delicious. fascinating reading about all the distinct... I mean, the distinct markers of this culture that you have found abroad and elsewhere. But just to sort of back up a little bit, um, a lot of people think of Cantonese food as a certain thing. But this is one facet of what we would call Cantonese or like, as you said, this region is technically within Guangdong province. Mm -hmm. So what is is it Cantonese? Would you call this Cantonese? Um, While it's in like... (laughs) the Guangdong province, the cuisine is actually considered pretty distinct from mm-hmm. what we think of as Cantonese cooking. It shares similarities, of course, because it's so close. Um, and it shares similarities with Fujianese cooking as well. Um, but the people of Diosua see themselves as like, you know, a separate culture with their own culinary traditions. Got it. Yeah. So your dad is from this culture. Yes. But he didn't really talk about it too much growing <laughs> up. Uh, call it Asian parent syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because he moved to to America and was yeah. think, trying to just learn English, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he so um, it's kind of wild. My dad, you know, was part of uh, he grew up with five siblings and, you know, they like helped build their house on the beach that is now actually in the center of town because like the town, the city has grown so much and they filled in the water and everything. But, you know, he he really came from like a family that didn't have that much. Um, and he also both of my parents grew up right around the time of the Cultural Rev- Revolution. So um, he actually didn't learn Mandarin until he uh was thinking about going to college and applying for college and he was learning Mandarin by candlelight um, <laughs> in this like mud brick house or whatever they were they built in Swatow and he yeah never left Swatow until the age of 18 and then he went to Beijing for college and then eventually came to the US um, but yeah so I think for um, I think for a lot of like Chinese parents of that generation 
they're really focused on the future and planning for the next step and not really um, taking too much time to reflect because there is so much like trauma and, hmm. you know, um, personal turmoil and uh, just Political a lot of turmoil. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I feel like unless I knew exactly which questions to ask of my parents, it's not like they really volunteered a lot of details about their life or their culture. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't really take too much of an interest in that mm -hmm. growing up in like suburban New Jersey it was much more interested in like malls and movies and music and just and really pizza yeah and Maybe. pizza of course <laughs> and subs and um yeah so I just I didn't really take advantage of having my parents around and like learning more about my own heritage um and yeah so it wasn't until I like grew up and moved away and uh, really started to miss their cooking mm -hmm. and then traveled to China and like visited my extended family that I really gained an appreciation for um, the cuisine and for the culture and the traditions that I'm part of. Mm. And it is a distinct uh, cuisine, which you mention um, at its core is about letting excellent ingredients, um, carefully sourced ingredients really shine in their mm -hmm. own flavors and you say it's not unlike the philosophy behind California cuisine here. Yeah, totally. And that's um, kind of what drove me to write this book was um, I was visiting my family there and everyone in this region is food obsessed, even in a country as like notoriously food obsessed as China. Mm -hmm. um, the people of this region like are known for just constantly thinking about food and being very particular about their food. And my mom, who is not from this part of China, um, I remember when we were growing up, uh, she would say like, oh, when we go visit your dad's side of the family, like we eat breakfast and then at breakfast, they're talking about what we're going to eat at lunch. And then at lunch, like they're just talking about dinner or like a snack <laughs> and like all day we're what just like- What else would you be talking yeah, about? Yeah, she's like, you're just eating or you're talking about eating. <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, that's kind of how I am now, too. <laughs> uh -huh. So you inherited some foodie genes for sure. Definitely. Um, yeah, yeah. Both of my parents are great cooks. Um, but yeah, this this region of China uh, has very deep, um, a really deep culinary tradition. And um, I think people in this culture have the sense of responsibility um, for preserving the tradition and teaching their children about it. And so even though there's this huge diaspora, um, I've heard from so many people from the diaspora now that, you know, their parents, uh, along with their grandparents, had moved to, like, Vietnam or Cambodia. Mm -hmm. But within the house, they were always told to speak Dioju. Mm. Um, like, outside the house, you would speak Vietnamese or Cambodian or whatever. But in the house, you ate Dioju food and you spoke Dioju and you, like, learned wow. the traditions. So as one example of this diaspora, if you have read Crazy Rich Asians, <laughs> which is set in Singapore, you may have seen, or sorry, read, or if you saw the movie, I don't know if they showed this, but char kway chow. Okay, so this is a stir-fried rice noodle dish, and it's, or maybe it's stir-fried, yeah, yeah, stir-fried rice noodle dish. Um, so how do I pronounce that actually? Char, char, char kway chow. Dao. Mm -hmm. Dao, okay. So it, it, um, but it is a Daoswa food. Yeah. But they're eating it a lot in Crazy Rich Asians in yeah. Singapore. Well, so this is one example of kind of the evolution of Daoswa food in the diaspora. Um, so I talk about in the book um, 
before I share the recipe for charcuterie dough that uh, in Diosois, this is like a common um, like stir fry noodle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's everyone loves it. It's a very simple dish. Um, it's fresh rice noodles. Um, that are just stir fried with some simple seasonings, some vegetables, some seafood, some meat, um, and that's some pretty clams. much it. I love that. <laughs> yeah, but um, it turned from this very simple, humble dish um, into a much more elaborate thing in mm-hmm. Singapore. And um, from my research, it it seems like how it evolved was as a way to use up kind of all the odds and ends um, at the end of a market day. Like the vendors would take their bits of like Chinese sausage and there are a few clams left over, take some eggs, uh, little bits of pork fat and, you know, like toss everything into a pan um, along with like a couple different kinds of noodles and uh, Chinese chives and it just turned into this much more elaborate like the best delicious thing, thing. Ever, yeah it's yeah. so good <laughs> yep oh that's really fascinating um, I want to talk a lot about more of these recipes that you've included in this book as well as the history of who and where the modern day Diosua uh, diaspora is mm-hmm. um, but right after we cut to a quick little commercial break This episode is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. Featuring a variety of interactive displays, MOFAD encourages eaters of all ages to be curious about food. The museum currently operates MOFAD Lab, a 5,000-square-foot experimental space in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where Chow, making the Chinese-American restaurant, is currently on show until the end of March 2019. This exhibition celebrates the birth and evolution of Chinese-American restaurants, tracing their nearly 170-year history, and sparking conversations about food culture, immigration, and what it means to be American. It highlights the evolution timeline of Chinese-American restaurant menus, dating back to 1910, and also highlights a tasting section where participants get to enjoy tastings created by the country's most talented chefs who specialize in Chinese-American cuisine. Make sure you check out Chow while you still can. The exhibition closes at the end of March 2019. Check out MoFad's tastings and extensive event calendar at mofad.org events. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Jimmy Carboni, and I'm the host of Beer Sessions Radio here on HRN. My show is an audio ale salon celebrating the world of craft beer, cider, food, and more. Through discussions with industry insiders and knowledgeable beer fans, my friends and I explore every aspect of the brewer's craft, from grains to pint glass and tasting to toasting. You can find Beer Sessions Radio wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're back chatting more with Diana Jang. She's the author of Jia, the Food of Swatow, and the Daocha Diaspora. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> You're doing great. Okay, so, so more on you know where exactly these folks have migrated over the years. Um, I thought it was really kind of amazing how you describe that this culture was sort of under your nose 
growing up yeah. um, in New Jersey and um, because your dad would be chatting in his local dialect with some Vietnamese restaurant owners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so growing up in Jersey, I really thought that there were maybe two other families from Dioswa in the U.S. because like those were the the two my parents had like these two friends who were from the region and I was like oh I never met anyone else from this part of China it must be some like tiny town you know that no one ever visits or talks about in China Mm, just because yeah (laughs) yeah it turns out there are like 12 million 15 million people in the whole region which still by Chinese terms is relatively small Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's it's the um homeland of a lot of ethnic Chinese in Southeast Asia, actually. Uh-huh. Um, and my family is somewhat rare in the diaspora in that we have, we can trace, you know, our migration to America directly back to China. Yeah. Um, a lot of Dioswa people in the States um, have, you know, Dioswa heritage, but their families lived in Southeast Asia, whether like Vietnam or Cambodia or Thailand or Singapore, Malaysia for like a generation or two before coming to the States. Um, and I had no idea about any of this until I started researching for the cookbook and then like all the pieces started coming together and yeah, then I would, you know, ask my dad very specific questions and then he'd be like, oh yeah, like we used to go to that pho restaurant all the time when we lived Uh in Maryland for two years. Um, and yeah, the, the proprietress was, you know, Dioju and Uh yeah, I could talk to her in my local language. But she was serving Vietnamese food, but yeah. And then now this, this culture has like sort of buried clues in many dishes around the world it sounds like yeah i mean um there are a lot of similarities between um you know the dishes you find in like a pho restaurant and uh the food of diuswa um you know the fresh yeah yeah like light clean flavors Mm -hmm. and there's actually um if you go into some pho restaurants they'll have this uh noodle soup called I'm, I don't know if I'm going to butcher this name or not, but it's like Hu Tiu Nam Pen, and it means like rice noodles in the Nam Pen style. Uh-huh. Um, and it's actually a Dioju dish um, that was brought to Cambodia by Dioswa immigrants, and then they brought it into Vietnam. Um, wow. So yeah, it, it has this direct line back to Dioswa. Um, but if you don't know what to look for, it's very easy to miss a restaurant that has Dioswa roots. And I like to say that one clue to finding out whether you're in a Dioswa establishment or not is to like check how many languages are on the menu. Uh. And if you see like at least three, then chances <laughs> are good that someone in that restaurant is of Dioswa heritage. Oh my goodness. So when you were traveling, you did a lot of travels to research for this book and with the help of cousins and other family members who are still in the Dioswa region, mm-hmm. uh, what did you find were some of like the, the the hallmarks or like this the most um, you know their favorite dishes or the favorite dishes of the region itself? Yeah, so since my family is in Swatow, they really love seafood. And it's amazing when you go to the wet markets there, you see all these different species of shellfish and all other types of sea creatures that you just don't have access to here, unfortunately. Um, so I tried my best. Um, in the book to come up with substitutions uh, where it was possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But yeah, seafood is beloved and there are so many different preparations. um, But steaming is, you know, one that's, 
probably used the most for things like fish. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can really taste that clean flavors of the fish. Yeah, totally. I'm looking at this steamed pomfret. You mm-hmm. call it the recipe is fully loaded steamed pomfret, <laughs> and it's a it looks like a steamed whole fish with just a load of different herbs and sauces and fresh tomatoes and garnishes you can throw on top of them. Yeah, and so that's in the title of that recipe is in contrast to the previous recipe, which is a much simpler steamed fish recipe Mm -hmm. that I actually got from my family. Um, My aunts cooked this as one of the first meals I had when I landed on one of my trips. Salted plum steamed fish. Yeah, it was really delicious. Um, And I think that's more typical of the diosua uh, in China preparation. Uh-huh. Um, it's a little more restrained. And I remember tasting this dish and just being shocked that they were using salted plum because in my mind, that was a Japanese ingredient. Umeboshi, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I was like, wow, I had no idea that you know people cooked with this in this region. And yeah, it, it's found in a couple different dishes um, in the region. And then the fully loaded version of the fish is actually more of like a Southeast Asian variant. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see it as like a very popular quote unquote Diuju dish uh-huh. uh, in like Singapore. In Singapore, and, right. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I, I feel like when you go to like actual Diuju or Swatow, it's, it doesn't have quite as many things going on. <laughs> it's so funny. It's the interpretation of the cuisine abroad lends mm-hmm. different layers of complexity. Yeah, totally. From local tastes, perhaps. Exactly. I was really like kind of amazed when I was looking through the, some of the ingredients and finding that there's a lot of parallels to t- Taiwanese mm-hmm. ingredients that I've um, written about. And um, for, in- for instance, the Sha Cha sauce also... It's a it's a long story. Well, you want to tell how it came to be <laughs> called yeah. um, barbecue act- sauce? <laughs> I actually have no idea why it's called barbecue <clears throat> sauce. Um, do you have any insights? Well, okay. I I think that it's satay sauce mm-hmm. is originally the thing, and people think of satay as like brushing on a barbecue griddle uh, skewers. Uh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, the the sacha sauce. Um, it's thought that it was. You know, originally a Southeast Asian condiment. Right. And um, Sate. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, the Diosua region um, actually sent a lot of people over uh, to Southeast Asia when there were times of uh, like poverty and there just weren't that many economic opportunities. Right. Um, in previous centuries, I think a lot of men like would go and work for, say, a couple of years and then return back to Diosua to visit family. Mm-hmm. And along the way, there was this great cultural exchange of ingredients and cooking methods and recipes. Um, so it's thought that satay sauce was brought back from Southeast Asia and then kind of adapted to local tastes in Diosua. Um, and that's and that's why it looks nothing like what we know of as satay sauce. Exactly. But it's this like minced paste of garlic and shallots and chilies and yeah. similar to exo sauce. Yeah, like a shrimpier, yeah. fishier, spicier sometimes version of exo sauce um, with like coconut. So hmm. yeah, it's like this whole 
like amalgam of flavors. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of overlap with Taiwanese yeah. cuisine because yeah, it's first of all really close, uh-huh. and then there are also a lot of Diosua people in Taiwan. Right. Yeah. So oh my god, the history of sauces is like another whole book because seriously, you know, originally ketchup came from China, and then yeah. it was you know of course different than what we now know of as ketchup. But yeah, yeah. satay sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, very yeah, different delicious. interpretation here in this book. Um, yeah, and I use it um, both in like traditional methods in this book, um, you know, in ways that I saw use it, it being used in Diosua and in Southeast Asia. And then I also include a recipe for satay bolognese um, <laughs> as a nod to my upbringing in New Jersey. You know? <laughs> Do you love Italian food? Um, and so I include a recipe for like not spaghetti, but um, rice noodles with this uh, topping of like a ragu made with satay sauce. Uh, that sounds perfectly on trend. <laughs> Diana, maybe you should open a restaurant. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier and I was telling you after I did a couple recipe testing parties uh-huh. in a row, I was like, wow, I don't know how people run restaurants. This is exhausting work <laughs> no, and I have thanks. so much admiration for them, but I could never do it. <laughs> Well, maybe a lot of chefs would say, I don't know how you could ever write a cookbook. That's, <laughs> I can't like, you know, sit down and write. That's, that's, that's too hard. But you've done an amazing job with this one. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm really curious, though, how your dad, what your dad thinks of it and what he thought when you were working on it and trying to kind of piece together all these clues about <laughs> do Diosua food. I think he thought it was kind of amusing because, you know, to him, it's just like, it's what he grew up with and mm. it, it doesn't really feel like something special. But then to me growing up as an Asian American trying to like get more in touch with my roots, it's this fascinating story that I had no idea about. Um, and yeah, I, it was really funny actually. It was towards the end of the writing process. I was just like wrapping it up, like doing final edits. And then um, I, I think I like, you know, wanted to ask my dad about like the Cambodian Juju community or something Uh and he was like oh yeah I guess I never told you but like when I was working on my PhD in Oregon um there was a whole do do student association and I like got to chat with this Cambodian couple and I was like what (laughs) he never told me like you didn't think it was worth mentioning earlier in this writing process (laughs) it's just so funny that like to him, like all these things that are just like, oh, of course that happened. To me, they're just like, wow, like what an amazing community and all these connections that you find to all these different communities that you never thought you were a part of. Um, it's just really fascinating to me. Wow. Do you find those communities nowadays? Uh, yeah, actually, I mean, the internet has been really wonderful mm-hmm. for um, finding other people uh, within your Diosua community. There's this Facebook group called Gaginang, which is um, the the Diosua word for uh, our own people. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. so like if you if a Diosua person meets another Diosua person, you'll be like Gaginang, like. Oh, oh, like cool. my brother, my sister. Um, so yeah, there's this whole like Facebook group. Um, I just went to a meetup uh, in December and they've done like a really great job of facilitating this community building digitally and then like coordinating in-person meetups as well. Um, so yeah, the internet 
magic resource. And do you guys just talk about food nonstop the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing um, but food? Yeah, so I'm like a only newbie food. to this community. Okay. So I've only gone to like the one meetup so far. But yeah, I think they really like to use it as a resource for practicing the language as well. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, I don't know how to speak the language. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually like very complicated to learn I think because there are more tones than in Mandarin and really yeah it just it doesn't sound like Mandarin or Cantonese and it's just yeah linguistics whole other thing that we could talk about (laughs) um but yeah so you know it's a chance for everyone to like connect over a meal and practice their language skills and it was really funny to hear them like kind of poking fun at everyone else's uh accents like their DSW accents like depending on whether their families went to Vietnam or to oh, they can like tell, Thailand yeah yeah, uh-huh. yeah they have like slightly different words for things and the way that they pronounce things is different so yeah it was just really interesting wow so why did you decide to call it jia you said that's one of the most common words in the language yeah so um, even though i don't speak DSW i understand a few words including jia which means eat um and that's pretty much all I would understand of my grandma when she when I'd go back to visit. She'd just constantly be like, da, da, <laughs> da. yeah, like constantly <laughs> encouraging me to eat. Um, and yeah, I, I like to say that it's like the Dioswa people's favorite word. <laughs> You're always like talking about eating and telling other people to eat. Um, and I've gotten a lot of questions about like, oh, Jia, is that like the term for home? Because that's how you say home and family in Mandarin. And um, I really like that it has those double meanings. Yeah, yeah, but like the character that I use on the cover and throughout the book is the character for eat. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) So your group, um, these groups of of, of Joshua people that you've met through this, are they really excited about this book? Are they like, you know, I've never seen a book like this before in English? Yeah, um, it's been a really lovely experience. Um, I was a little nervous before releasing the book, actually, because, um, like I mentioned, my family story is a little different from most of the Dioswa families it in came America. Straight here, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I I didn't want to be presumptuous and say, you know, I'm speaking for the whole community, and um, I just wanted to be very mindful of how I was representing just this one sliver of the community and the Dioswa experience. Mm-hmm. Um, But then, you know, after I released it out into the wild, yeah, I've met so many people who are just excited to see their culture reflected in a cookbook. And um, especially now there's that Netflix series called Flavorful Origins. Oh, yeah. That dives into, um, it focuses primarily on the Diosua region in China. So it doesn't talk about the diaspora that much, um, but it really highlights um, and goes deep into 20 different ingredients or recipes and it's just amazing to see how much care is put into each of these ingredients and these traditional recipes that are passed down. So I feel like it's it's really nice to be talking about Dioswa food and um, cooking Dioswa food in this moment when more and more people are paying attention to it. And, you know, yeah. when I was writing the book or before I wrote the book, I was really befuddled. Like, why is no one talking about this uh-huh. cuisine? It's so good. Um, and it's so different from the other regions that I see represented in restaurants in America. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that now there's a larger conversation nice. around it. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you've, you've shared with us so many of these restaurant uh, recipes. And I love how each one has a story about its origin. Um, 
like the immortal braise um, as a traditional cooking method. And then you have all sorts of like um, fun recipes that are inspired by um, friends that you've gotten to know and who've, who've lent a hand. Um, yeah. There's so many that we haven't gotten into yet, but it looks like we're just about out of time for today. <laughs> but I hope that everyone picks up this book and checks it out, whether or not um, this is a cuisine that you're familiar with from home or just um, are, you know, have ever tried before. <laughs> in, in maybe sometimes unwittingly you've like had this cuisine. Perhaps. Yeah, maybe yeah. in a Vietnamese restaurant or exactly, a Thai restaurant. with a Phnom Penh. Mm-hmm. or Singapore or who mm-hmm. knows um, but they're all all the recipes are super delicious like the stir fried noodles and I can't even I like lobster noodles um, there's so many goodies and the reading of course is so delightful so um, you can check out Chia the Food of Swatao and the Teo Chia Diaspora on the website for it yeah you can check out jacookbook.com that's J-I-A cookbook.com and um, yeah, because it's a self-published work. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, and thank you delightful. so much, Diana, for joining us. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah. And see every, uh, thanks everyone at Heritage. And we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Oh, I like the way you do. Eat Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Simplecast is a popular hosting and analytics platform that allows podcasters to easily host and publish to apps like Apple Podcasts. If you have a podcast or are looking to create your very first, check it out. Try it for free and save half off your first three months at simplecast.com forward slash heritage. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.